Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week another excellent episode coming from the Kraken in Germany, a gaming vacation or retreat. I'm here with uh, two very special guests. One of them we spoke to last year was Fabian Kukler. Hello Fabian. Hey. And uh, extra special as well, we've got uh, the incredibly famous and uh, well-versed Robin Laws. Good to see you Robin. Hey, how you doing? Excellent. So, first of all, what's, what's brought you over here to Germany? Uh, Fabi invited me, and uh, I've been uh, hoping to get invited to the Kraken at least once, and uh, conveniently it has moved away from Gen Con, becoming a retreat instead of a vacation, and I gather uh, uh, October also offers relative freedom from flies and mosquitoes. It's a lot better than the summer, I can definitely guarantee that. <laughs> he does not know what he is getting into, into here. We get Sandy back regularly, so maybe, you know. Now Robin's going to become a regular, yeah, perhaps. Who knows? quite like this. Uh, it's, it's recorded now. So <laughs> Let's there we go. On the hook, let me tell you. It's out there, you heard it here first. Um, okay, so uh, what do you think um, the attraction is of games like Hero Quest and that kind of stuff? There's a lot that's still here, and there's a lot of different backgrounds to it. Um, obviously, you're involved in that sort of thing. It, it's, it's a big departure, I think, personally for me, from the origins of these sort of games. So RuneQuest, when it first came out, was quite traditional, and you know you have sort of, yeah, roll to hit, roll to damage. And right. HeroQuest was quite a broad, more a narrative approach to games. So. Yeah, so the, the idea behind HeroQuest, and uh, I guess parenthetically I should say that it's actually really exciting now for Glorantha fans are, have, uh, are going to have three different flavors of game that they can play. Uh, in their version of Garantha. And so if you want uh, a D&D-ish experience with super balanced uh, gameplay and sort of a wild and woolly approach to the uh, game, you're going to have 13th Age and Glorantha. And uh, the classic RuneQuest is uh, uh, charging back uh, with uh, some of the uh, sort of play challenges of the earlier editions uh, uh, repaired. And so it's going to be like what you remember RuneQuest 2 being, and, uh, except, um, and not what RuneQuest 2 actually is. A smoother system. Yeah, just the way that Feng Shui 2 is, yeah. my goal with that was to make that uh, what you remember Feng Shui, to, uh, Feng Shui being, and, and not what's actually in the book. And so, and that of course is a very traditional, very simulative experience where you know, I, I like to liken the typical play experiences. Well, you fight a baboon for his leg armor in the <laughs> desert. Um, but uh, HeroQuest was born out of uh, two things. First of all, at the time, Greg was trying to bring back Glorantha, but didn't have the rights to RuneQuest. And something that RuneQuest did not uh, do particularly well were Greg's stories about Glorantha, as you would see them, for example, in the King of Sartor book. Sure. And uh, in order to uh, do that, I figured, first of all, you needed something that scaled up quite a bit. One of the issues with RuneQuest is that it works really well within kind of a narrow band yeah. of uh, competence, and then the math starts to break down again. Uh, whereas you want to have a story, uh, any range of story in Glorantha, really, from the uh, group of people living in the Orlanthe village who are ordinary people with magic abilities and they fight and so forth, but they're regular folks, yeah. or all the way up to being you know, the crazy superheroes of the setting, right? Yeah. A rule set that would allow you to play Herrick and Jariel and all of those characters. Um, and so it needed to scale up uh, seamlessly, sure. but also uh, in order to seem like Greg's stories, it needed, I thought, to be something that thought like a storyteller thought rather than something that thinks about the world as something that you simulate the way that uh, right. request does. Sure. And so 
uh, it became uh, one of the really early story games before that term came along. Even yeah, had, yeah. Uh, I understand an influence on some of the movers and shakers in that movement. And uh, the idea was to have a rule set that would think like uh, uh, the creator of a story. Now, uh, as we've since learned, that people don't necessarily have the instinctive grounding in how to uh, work with the system to think like a storyteller. So the uh, later version, uh, HeroQuest 2, first the generic version, and now the Grantha version of that, give you a lot more guidance right. on how to make the decisions that allow the rule system to support you and vice versa. Uh, because although we're immersed in narrative, uh, people, I think a lot of them just sort of see it at face value right. rather than looking at the structures that make it work. And so the newest version of HeroQuest is also lo loaded in with all of the structural support to help you make uh, the most interesting possible choices when you play. And I think that's a really important thing with role-playing games generally, actually, because I know a lot of people buy a new book and they kind of like, we've been playing games for years, right? So they skip past the GM advice section going, I know all this. I just want to jump straight into a game. Right. When actually there's like really useful, solid advice in that bit. And I always read them because I know it's coming from someone else's perspective. So there's always going to be something to learn or a good tip in there. So Right. And uh, Feng Shui is an example of that. The reason people uh, love uh, Feng Shui uh, is not just uh, because of the rules, but because the GM advice at the time was a lot of people found that really liberating. And yeah, still absolutely. run into people who say, that changed the way that I run every other game. And so uh, the, uh, the trick really is, I think, and we're finding more and more, and I think this is why people are really jumping on the actual play bandwagon so much now and you know even you know sort of spectator play is they want to see other people doing it uh, which is I think even a more direct way of learning than you know all the GM advice you can possibly Absolutely, give Absolutely yeah. That's so nice, a nice bit that, that now I finally figured out why you are such a great GM Gary you we always read these sections for your GM. <laughs> that's, that's, that is <laughs> that part of it. it. must be it. That are many years in the, in the yes. coal face, <laughs> learning skills and picking things up from other people and that sort of thing. So, um, you produced something called uh, Sharper Adventures in Galanta, was it? Yes, um, it was actually a very interesting um, uh, thing that was going around in my head because at one point um, we figured out HeroQuest. It's, it's a really neat system. I mean, if you get into it and have the mindset for it. Because we, we experience with many people around our convention that they are really hardcore Garantha fans, but they, 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 the game-wise is still back in the uh, 80s, 70s with, with RuneQuest, you know, what Robin just said, like Baboon, uh, Armor, uh, you know, like these kind of things. And they really had a hard time coming around how to, I felt, how to use uh, HeroQuest, first of all. And out of that kind of, you know, weird sensation was you know, we all had this discussion in, uh, at Chimia in France and uh, Robin was there and we, we wondered why uh, we have so many great, you know, scenarios coming out of uh, Chaosium for Call of Cthulhu for, for Pe Pendragon. I mean, the great Pendragon campaign is basically 20 scenarios on one page, right? Yeah. It's like covering sure. that thing. And why it was, why in our opinion, in my opinion, there was no really great campaign for Garantha, even so Garantha is such, you know, fantastic, I mean, thing with all that backstories and secrets and you know yeah. creatures and stuff tons of material for and, it right? yeah and so after the show i was pitching i mean i i you know uh, i was wailing at robbing about that situation and i finally put one on together and asked Robin, wait a minute what what do you think of that and he said well yeah you know i think i have a pretty good idea how to address that and and it ended up us hiring robin 
to write that, what he you know thought is the solution, and uh, what came out of it is um, uh, sharp adventures and he regrets the last time. But what it is, Robin is more capable at that point to explain. So the uh, and this is a, the first in a series of now you've got a number of chapbooks that yes. uh, promote the convention and help fundraise, and I think this. And they're all available on PDF. And, yes, uh, and I think this one in particular is selling well as a, Pretty well, as a yeah. PDF Afterlife. Um, so the idea is just to again to provide. It's basically uh, an adjunct chunk of GM advice, right. and it's particularly about how to structure adventures because one of the challenges with uh, Glorantha is that Greg's world is so rich and deep, and also has a bunch of compelling characters running around doing things which is not something you would do if you started out to design a world for yeah. role-playing purposes. Because, of course, uh, it didn't start out as a gaming world, although we think of it mostly as such. And it started, and yeah. its first game was a board game, not sure. uh, a role-playing game. So uh, in the board game, it's cool to have Jareel and Beatpot Elrin and all the others running around. But in a role-playing game, you don't want those people eclipsing uh, the player characters. And I think all those factors together can kind of create a dynamic where you, uh, if you're not careful, can design adventures where you're just sort of sandboxing around the way you used to do in like the Borderlands well, box. I say touristing. Yeah. yeah, sure. And you just see cool stuff happening, but you don't really engage with it. So the thesis of Sharper Adventures is, no, what you have to do is to create uh, an adventure where there's a strong core activity uh, and that's another thing, it's not, uh, the Glorantha is so wide as well as rich and deep that it's not necessarily apparent what it is that you all do other mm. than wander around being murder hobos. <laughs> so this is like, well, pick something that you do and, uh, and that could be, you know, we're the most important people guarding our Orlenthi clan, uh, we are pirates uh, raiding other ships. Uh, we are lunar inquisitors going from city to city, making sure that no one deviates from our version of the red orthodoxy. Uh, whatever those you choose to do, that's a specific thing, and that's a thing that puts you, your characters at the center of the action sure. and moves all the other characters and cultures in Glorantha to supporting you instead of you going and interacting with them. Right. And, and then it just basically creates a structure where, you know, what if you, you, you start out with sort of a three-act structure and that makes sure that you've got at least two major story turns in an adventure that again are driven by the decisions of the player characters and from there you can bust that out into different units of each act and by the time it hits play your job is not to make it feel like it has a three-act structure uh, you don't ideally don't want your players thinking about the structure at all right. uh, but that has enough to it that it's something where you are making things happen in the world rather than just you, you know, watching someone else back. do something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that me and Baz on the podcast have talked about quite a lot that you kind of want to get uh, the Wizard of Oz effect a little bit. Like you're the little guy pulling the levers behind the curtain, but you, you know, and the other the people know that curtain's there and there's a guy behind it. But the whole idea behind your game really is that you try and forget that that's happening and you make it more about the stories that you're creating right there at the table. Right. And, and conversely, there are times certainly when it's the most efficient thing to do at the table is to step back and say, hey, guess what? Your characters are going to get captured here. I know everybody hates getting captured, but don't worry. I understand the issues of characters getting captured and there's going to be a reward once you escape and yes, you're going to have a chance to escape. So that's obviously a better way to solve the uh, people be, being whiners about getting captured. Yeah, it's absolutely. Typical role-playing games, and is much better than doing that in a 
uh, you know, having a magic weasel show up to explain that to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it might be you know, interesting to point out that the, um, the chapbook Sharp Adventures in Hubris uh, Glorantha is actually, um, it's, it's not so much Glorantha focus as you might think, because to me it's really like Robin just wrote an update to his uh, Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering in a way. I mean, it can be applied to all complex uh, settings and, get, and stuff like that. Yeah, all, all the advice is totally generic. It's yeah. just that Glorantha, I think, particularly uh, is helped by that advice. Yes. But you can apply that to any role-playing game. It's really useful for other, you know, for GMing in general. And a lot of people bought that outside of our certain, you know, the niche, Glorantha niche, if you want so to say. Yeah, and I think that's that can sometimes be a little off-putting to people when they see the Glorantha yeah. label on it, because there's such... Uh, a strong hardcore of people who are really passionate about but, it. But lots of details. There's also the name of Robin Laws in it, so that and that's kind of an that's the magic there. monarchy in yeah. even the frontier <laughs> book, right? <laughs> they fly off the shelves after that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've sort of played some Feng Shui too quite recently. That was good. Uh, I had a, another interesting experience playing the uh, 13th Age in Grantham as well at the oh, Continuum cool. Convention in the UK, which was interesting because it was split between two sets of players, and there's one set of players who kind of like D&D, and then other sets of players who have never played D&D but really like Grantham. And it was kind of one guy <laughs> sat down saying what dice we need and the other guys are sitting down saying what year is it. And then you just see the, the GM's yeah. face was just like, oh God, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. The but. meeting of the great clans. <laughs> but so it, you know, it all worked out because everybody got a bit, bit of what they wanted sort of thing. Yeah. So. Well, the one, the one group could tell the, uh, the other group about illumination and the other group could tell them about flanking bonuses. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We were all set. We all met in the middle somewhere. Um, but yeah, uh, Continuum is quite good this year, a good uh, variety, so I've mentioned Feng Shui 2 was played as well, that was really good, uh, it was one of my favourites from yesteryear. Uh, and you've written quite a few different and varied things over the years, so um, things, whether the cookie likes for over the age and that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm just wondering what sort of drives your uh, decisions on gaming or ideas or where they come from? Is it just kind of, do things pop into your head or...? Well, it, it's almost always, uh, Feng Shui is unusual in that I pitched that to a publisher. Right, uh, and then uh, we went from there, and that's just because I knew about Hong Kong movies, Hong Kong action movies, about two to three years ahead of everybody else in North America, thanks to seeing them at the Toronto International Film Festival, and thought it would be a great sort of untouched uh, setting to play with. But generally, I'm approached by a publisher and asked, "How would you do a Glorantha role-playing game?" Or as Simon Rogers at uh, Pelgrane did ten years ago, uh, "How would you solve?" the problem of rolling for information and not getting the information in an investigative game and the plot stalling. And so that's what Gumshoe came out of. Yeah. And so it's always a, a, a starting over process of, okay, what are the design goals for this? What are the, What is the experience I'm trying to create? And often it's quite a specialized experience uh, because uh, the games that are sort of big, broad games that draw people into the hobby uh, those niches are already taken. There's already a Pathfinder. There's already, and now there's a D and D is coming back. Yeah. So there's no point in trying to do Reinvent that again. That. Yeah, or sure. uh, although Rob and Jonathan actually did a super cool job with that with their yeah. age. Um, so it, it's a question of figuring out what the design goals are. What's the, what's the experience? What new am I adding to the corpus of role playing games? You know, what problem does this solve? And if the answer is, oh, well, this is just like all the other games, but it's mine, you know, why do that? Yeah. Uh, so if you can't innovate in some way in a, in a design, uh, why aren't you using one of the many existing Absolutely, systems, especially yeah. since so much is open source at this point? Yeah. Um, you know, why bother doing that? Now, oddly enough, if you do something 
long enough and stick with it you can find that it will achieve you know people will start using it for something other than its intended purpose and now i'm starting to hear that people are using gumshoe to introduce people to role playing which is not what i intended it uh, it always all the gumshoe books assume you're an experienced role player yeah. which you are if you're introducing your friends to role playing but um and it's very specific right it's just about investigative gaming but a lot of people have adapted it to other things uh be, and uh their adult friends who are sort of interested in role playing but don't have the you know 12 year old boy mind of let's memorize the monster manual uh, right, yeah. uh, they're much happier in the much simpler environment of, of gumshoe uh, because a lot of my games if there's a common thing it's like only do as much as you have to and then have the rules kind of melt away and, and get out of the way right feng shui is kind of crunchy uh, compared to my other designs but in general i as a game master uh, enjoy things that don't require a lot of handling so that we can focus on the story and i guess the ultimate expression of that is hill folk uh, which is just all mostly all about dialogue between the characters as right. you go around the table, and uh, it's uh, intentionally designed so that the system that uh, determines whether you achieve your external goals is actually kind of slightly annoying to play, uh, as uh, a, a disincentive to use it, so that you only use it when you really really have, have to, to. Yeah. and otherwise it's a little aesthetically displeasing, and that encourages people to just agree. Okay, well, you know what? I think we succeeded in that raid. Does anyone disagree? No, no. <laughs> or or conversely, our village is on fire. We just got raided. Oh, okay. Well, that's Shall we how do scene, something about that. That's yeah. how scene framing works. Yeah. I guess our village is on fire. Yeah. We got to deal with that. Absolutely, that's cool. So, um, do you sort of uh, like more the sort of design element of things, or like you say, solving a new problem or approach, or because a lot of your supplements that I've mentioned certainly from yesterday have a lots of really cool and interesting ideas. So, is it more interesting to you to get into the mechanics or more about the uh, just uh, it's all, and ideas it's all part of the same thing. That yeah. I'm also interested in narrative and storytelling. I've, you know, I've written eight novels and a short story collection and edited other short stories. So I, uh, uh, I understand why people specialize, but I, uh, I basically uh, create the rules as tools to tell stories. And if you create the tools to tell stories and then you leave the storytelling to someone else, why, you know, why, why go to trouble <laughs> yeah, doing so. stuff with math in it in order, and then not, you know, <laughs> not see the benefit create characters <laughs> and worlds and, and stuff. It's, so it's actually very interesting because, you know, one of the puzzling things is that it, it, ha it came about that we have that great hero quest system or hero war system before that by Robin Laws, but we didn't have any scenario by him in print, which would be kind of neat to see how the designer would go about designing an adventure and it just never happened due to several you know whatever the circumstances and so we convinced Robin to, to work for us again to, to actually write a uh, chapbook in, in, in a hero quest adventure for us which would be interesting to see how he goes about that and, and you know just get another peek into his uh, in his mind to see what but how he would approach writing a, a scenario and how much ideas he would put in and how he would deal with encounters maybe or whatever I'm looking really looking forward to that I think I think something's really important and it's missing from a lot of games I find these days having a sample adventure it used to be a staple yes, that you'd have mentioned back and there's some slightly disappointing ones like Spirit of the Century when that came out the sort of revised edition of Fate was really interesting and the way you made characters and they all fit together and the stories all melded all that was wonderful and I did like a really 
boring traditional adventure at the back that ignored all the advice that was in the rest yeah, of the book. I mean, you know, I mean, just imagine Call of Cthulhu, the first edition without any scenario, the the haunted house, and, and you know, how would anyone ever found out how to play with the, that game without that introduction kind of scenario, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Often they're put in as afterthoughts, uh, but they are the th the thing that shows you what the play should be like. So yeah. uh, the, I think it's actually even worse to have a perfunctory intro adventure in your book than to have no adventure at all. But that's why all of the gumshoe core books have fully fleshed out uh, scenarios in them because that's what shows you what the experience is. Yeah. Also, that's what you're paying for. I mean, not, you're not paying for a rule set. You're paying, if you buy an adventure, you, you buy loads of ideas, you know, that you might or might not use as a GM. But, you know, you want to have some cool stuff, you know, you buy a, a bunch of like, great ideas, you know, it's not like you, uh, you you buy a set of statistics where you go, this monster is under the terms of, of your request, very hard to beat or hard to beat because the GM will figure it out because he's creative and stuff like that. So yeah. you want to have some something to go go with, you know. I think, yeah, there's nothing more disappointing than you buy a book and there's some secret society or, or organization that's ruling the empire and you want to know what's behind it all. And you get to the end of the book and it says it can be whatever you want it yeah, to be. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, why have I bought your book then? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I mean, it's, it's the enjoyment of, of reading massively on Lethotap and then finding out they have that island and they have the rocket on that island and stuff like that. It's really, oh, you know, you could imagine going there, but it's it, it's your pleasure as a GM already knowing right. where, where, where it might end up at or, you know, the pyramid and the cultists and then you go like, you know, so you have like, you are like in the cinema having anticipation for the story where to go and you are, you look forward to it. But if you don't have that, it's kind of, yeah, I have to make it up, you know, now I have to have a great idea how to, how to solve that or, yeah, so I think I'm always looking forward to that, you know. There's often a, a virtue in leaving secrets indeterminate mm. uh, because it encourages you to make the setting your own and uh, also, if it, you know, if your players have read the book, it keeps your secrets, but it's a cop out to say, yeah, just make it up. What you should, you know, what you need to do there is here's four bullet points, yeah, four different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pick the one you think is cool, um, because otherwise you're just you're not doing your job as a, a designer. You, you want to have something on your plate, you know. It's like, oh, that's kind of nice. That's a cute idea. Something that inspires your creativity if you don't like them, but you know, there should be something there, you know. Yeah, exactly. You can still ignore it and make your own up if you want to, but you, you want some seeds, don't you, to kind of yeah, like get your imagination yeah. firing and give you something to, to yeah, think like, about. Like in the Great Pendragon campaign, it's basically scenario snippets where you can understand, ah, cool, now we go to, you know, go to talk to the fairies in the woods and stuff like that. It's just a short paragraph, but you can easily make that into a Pendragon, straightforward Pendragon scenario. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it, it's great coming to this sort of event and, and having guests such as Robin and Sally Peace and all the rest of it. How important is it having uh, some industry guests, do you think? And, and it's really nice, in, I think, in this sort of situation well, where well, it's well, quite it, quite small opposed to, like, you know, Gen Con where you've got thousands well, of Well, there's beers that would go on drunk, first yes. of all. You'd have to That'd bring be, in yeah. the Canadian to judge the German beers. Yeah, he's pretty proficient in judging beers that Robin lost. No, it's, I think it's, it always has been, um, I think it's, um, there is some debate about that, not in, in our you know, team, but there are shows who don't think that's really necessary. Uh, I, I was already firmly convinced that they, first of all, they really add a lot to the show. It's not like they hear, like, at Comic-Con, you know, actors and they sign books and shake hands. They really put in a lot of work. I mean, we just grabbed Robin out of the room where he's preparing his game for tonight, 
which I'm playing in. But um, they put a lot in the, into the programs. And they always have like Greg Stefford and Sandy Peterson. They're really nice guys and Robin. But they also work really hard for a show like that. I mean, they, they in Pam Robin, you'd had to you had a panel today. Yeah. And then you had yesterday evening we ended the beer tasting yeah. at one o'clock in the evening. And then you're a tree tree right. player. Yes. And, 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 <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was a it was a tough job, yeah. but somebody's got to do it. And I have another panel today. And Coming up, and, and so there's a lot. We really, you know, first of all, for what we offer, we get a really a lot back from 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 the guests. So actually, we and we still feel indebted to to them, you know. And um, I think they also help to get the message across what's going on. I think it's uh, it's. I have never met a, uh, someone at the show or at the Creighton complained that we, you know, I was like, oh, why do we have all There's these? Too many industry why saying, here. Why why do I pay for yeah. flying? You know, Sandy Peterson yeah. to to Germany. I oh mean, my gosh, I have to listen to Sandy Peterson, Peterson. say it's all sorts yeah. of brilliant things. It's yeah. in my mind. So so it's it's kind of it's kind of puzzling not to do it. I mean, from our perspective, it's it adds so much, you know, and the traction we get. I mean, we if Robin lost twitters about us or you know it or shows a picture of something odd and funny we do, uh, it, it totally helps, you know, uh, spreading the message and and. Um, and, and transporting a message about what we are about here, because I think uh, what we're trying to is to to push the uh, to push the limits and the imagination what you can actually do with a with a role playing event instead of just you know the classical things. I mean, in terms of just numbers, we're just very small, with between sixty and eighty people here, um, and so there was never a question about that. And then also, it's very enjoyable for me. You know, it's one of my kind of treats to 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 have some time uh, with them. You know. Looking forward to go to visit Berlin with Robin and, and Sandy. Sandy's never been. Robin has never been. I've been in Berlin a couple of times, but never, you know, never in a. In oh, it's a great city, right? Yeah, you've been there. I've been there yeah. more times than you have. Yeah. And, and and all kinds of things. And there's it's also very productive. It's all also very uh, productive because you know ideas uh, here. It's a place where ideas ferment. And 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 you know before Robin came here, oh, I just said. Why don't I ask Robin if he really can write a hero quest scenario for us, just as a showcase? And and all kinds of things happen if you have these guys around, you know. So um, it's I think it's really important. It, it, it's also you know it also is uh, important for people coming all the way from Australia. It, it adds something, some security, travel security that you actually go to an event where where Sandy Peterson is going to. And, um, and 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 Robin, I'm sure Gary would you would just show up if no one's here. I don't you know, know. But just just for you, Fabian, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, but but no, it's 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 enjoyable, and, and we're also very lucky in picking them. You know, we all have very you know socially uh, at a people. You know, and and it's great. I mean, Sandy Peterson just brought his new Kickstarter uh, project, which is amazing. That that he already. I has think he likes him running it as well, doesn't he? It's like keeps hacking them out, uh, which is. Pretty, pretty interesting. Um, yeah, and it's good to also we we are basically through that you you stay in the loop what's going on because yeah. you know so I can only encourage doing that if you can get them. I mean you just have to. They should have been. I mean Robin once told me about this one conventional. Always tries to invite him, but uh, and 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 and. Um, it's hard for him to say yes to that. I mean, it's not you cannot go to every convention as a guest, you know. Absolutely, and, yeah. There's only so many days so in the year. And, huh? and, and then there's Gen Con, and then, then there's the, the, the Toronto International Movie Festival just after it, or more, yeah. more and so. Yeah, but but it's it's worthwhile. I mean, we saw it at Convulsion. They had a great lineup of guests, and it totally had the show. And, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so now, how, how do you like it, Robin? Obviously, you've been to tentacles well, previously I, and that sort of thing. Is yeah, it? I was at uh, tentacles uh, once, and that was obviously because we're referring to tentacles and not Eternal Con. It, it was the, the Fabi version of it, and well, basically, uh, what uh, Fabi and his team do are the gold standard in how you treat guests, and there have been other uh, shows that have also come up to that uh, level. Uh, Ropacon uh, in Finland being one of them, um, and. Uh, there are other shows, though, that I'll uh, go to, and I'll have a perfectly nice time, but I'll arrive, and there won't be much scheduled for me to do, or, right. uh, you know, and it's uh, 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 the great thing about European cons, uh, or uh, the Australian con I went to, is that you get to sort of uh, have a new group of friends for a week. The yeah. convention organizers, uh, you know, take you out to dinner, or hang out, or whatever, and you, uh, and it's a great way... Uh, uh, this is not the most lucrative profession in the world, uh, and so getting this is how I get to travel is yeah. by going to uh, uh, conventions like this, and so that's always a treat. And you see, uh, when you do visit another country and you're with people who have invited you there and are showing off uh, their their country, you learn more about it and you learn, you know, what everyday life is like. You're not just stuck in a hotel room. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so that that's an enormous uh, blessing. And I think uh, European fans uh, because they are not uh, you know awash in guests normally are very appreciative and uh, very attentive to uh, panels and so forth and so they're kind of more excited and uh, North American shows often you'll kind of show up and it'll be you know here's uh, $50 per diem for meals and uh, here's your schedule yeah. and wow. see you in a few hours yeah, uh, yeah. Would never do that. No, and the other thing is for me also, it's it's great what Robin just said. It's like you visit someone who's you know in in real life in person there, and he gets to peek behind there your social, you know your your private life in a bit. You know you invite them as friends. There's no way of you know hello Robin or Fabian and here's your hotel room goodbye see you at twelve. <laughs> That's first of all not practical for us at all. You know just have to include them into the into thing. But also, you get you. I myself get to the experience to see my country through Robin's eyes because it's like when when he arrived at the airport and his unfortunately his luggage was on a different plane or late. Uh, we could discover that Berlin, in fact, is not Germany. <laughs> because, uh, yes, Fabi disowned uh, Berlin entirely in a few minutes there. Well, it's a special, it's a cool place, especially, but if you come from other places in Germany where things actually run, you know, it's like, oh, this is, you know. It's I a mean, national disgrace, something yeah, that's organized currently. The, the arrows at the airport alone made me kind of squeezy, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, but this is all what Robin describes the, is, is also, you know, it's also great having uh, these people around as, as, you know, as friends. You know. Absolutely, yeah. So, how, how does it feel having because you're kind of in amongst the troops almost at this sort of convention, rather than Gen Con where there's thousands of people and you you've got a line of people lining up, or you're in a seminar room full of them. Yeah, when you kind of like sat, you know, cheek by child, do, do you find new things out about your games via what people tell you, or is there a different experience there? Well, for one thing, it's only at a show like this that I will run games. I don't run games at Gen Con. It's a waste of my time to do it there because my mission there is to interact with as many people who play my games as possible. And so uh, sitting down to spend, you know, uh, four hours and basically all of that day's mental energy for six people is just plain inefficient. Yeah, sure. um, and uh, even other sort of u larger US shows, I will try to 
uh, avoid running games. And that's because you're not necessarily sure that the people in a smaller market con know who you are enough to sign up for your game. And that can be very frustrating mm. and, and, you know, to be sitting there and, you know, basically everybody in this town plays Pathfinder and they have no idea who I am or what any of my games are. And so they don't even sign up for them. That's extremely annoying. Yeah, I can and, imagine. And, you know, you can just say, well, if I could just teleport six people from Ropacon or from Kraken here, uh, they would, you know, all heavily vie for the yeah. opportunity to, to play a game with me. So uh, it's only at a show like this where I'm confident that there'll be an excited group of people who will sign up that I would ever bother to, or to do that. Or have to draw a horror lottery ticket, you know, because everybody wanted to play in this. Yeah, absolutely. So do you find it, um, I guess because you probably play or run games a little bit infrequently compared to the writing, do you find when you reflect after running some games that you perhaps run them using your own advice? Or do you find that perhaps after when you look back you may have just run a game how you always do, rather than, do you know what I mean? Like, would you have, do you think you've followed all the old, all the advice in the HeroQuest book when you run a HeroQuest game? Um, or, or... In a way, all of the advice is trying to uh, write down what I do instinctively uh, right. and show other people how to do it. Uh, there was a joke back when uh, Jonathan Tweed had uh, the Everway game, which was also a very early, uh, low-maintenance sort of story game, and it's people joked that, it would have been a better game if there was a Jonathan Tweet in every box. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know if the world could handle that many no, Jonathan that's... Tweets because they printed a lot of Everway. Uh, but uh, the uh, it, it is a real trick to get the things that you do instinctively and turn them into techniques. That's not to say that I you know, never make a mistake, but when I do make a mistake, it's a, oh yeah, this is a mistake I, sh I know about and should not have made in, in this instance. Uh, but uh, and, and the other phenomenon, that you get at a, a show like this is that um, on, on Thursday night, uh, it turned out that there was an event I wasn't ready for called uh, Gaming with the Stars, which was you're supposed to pull out a board game and run it with somebody, but I couldn't think of, uh, I'm not as much a board game person as, as Sandy is, for example, so. No one is. Huh? Right, uh, <laughs> uh, and so what I thought, okay, well, what I can do is I can just make up something on the spot. So I invented a rule system and ran a, uh, a game for people, and that was for about eight people. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. large group basically. Yeah, um, and but when that was over, everybody wanted to sit and analyze it and talk about it. So it's like we uh, played a game and then we had a, a ninety-minute graduate seminar about how it had gone, nice. uh, and it, it was all positive uh, yeah, because people had a good time and they sort of explored why that is, and uh, uh, and that just shows the level of commitment. It's some because by definition. You know, this isn't cheap, this show. And you've, uh, a lot people have, some people have come, well, nobody's local no, to here because this is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's uh, really at least, yeah. Um, so even if you're coming from somewhere else in Germany, you've made an effort to get here. And so these are the most devoted gamers. And so when they're here, they don't want to just game. They also want to uh, take all the nuggets from the fun they had and process them into you know the gold that they can take home and import into their own games. Sure, yeah, I, th I found something quite odd when um, the sort of independent. I, I, there's a thing between Twilight and Indian. You can't really use those phrases because people get upset because there aren't two camps. It's just role playing in general. But when the British independent games were sort of like taking off, uh, a couple of my friends who wrote them were sort of asking me, "What what is it that you do when you gem? Like, what are the things you do?" And that's the sort of stuff you're talking about there, where it's the 
I found it really hard to articulate and I sort of criticised a lot of the early games saying, well, this stuff's just obvious, you know, when this new advice came. I said, like, we just do that all the time. But obviously I was coming at it from the point of view of someone who'd run games for 20 years. I mean, so it was instinctive to me, but for a new person for the game, it was it was pure gold that got in these yeah. games here. But here also we, we, we are in very, very um, luxury bubble of gaming knowledge. You know, we don't have much outside influence. We just have, you know, a lot of very good GMs, very good writers and designers. So the feedback we give is always kind of, so we kind of spoil with that, you know. Of course, it's, it's not the real, not gaming reality for everyone, you know. To, yeah, to absolutely. Have, to, to have that. I was speaking so, to one of the other guests actually just waiting for a game. We were hanging outside the chapel waiting. And he said, uh, so yeah. what have you written? I was like, well, just, just a couple of scenarios. Like, <laughs> yes. I just assumed everyone was a game writer here because yeah, everybody yes. else on that writes their own games. You know, you know the other thing, you can have very interesting conversations with people here. You know, it's just that you don't have to, to, to be in gaming. But there was another thing that I wanted to, to um, stress on what Robin said about uh, my take on because I edited, uh, I had to, I could, I was had the pleasure of editing Robin's work, which was not really work, which just really, <laughs> the really end. <laughs> fortunate, except for the one, one, one or two typo, but not, you know. But the interesting <laughs> thing is that I went as a gamer, I, I, I looked at it as from the perspective of a gamer, a game master, and the copywriter, which is my profession, I'm in the, I'm in the creative field, I my day job is to come up with ideas, the better the ideas are, the more, you know, the better my job is, and the more fun I have doing my job. But when I looked at the, um, the really neat guidelines from the shop adventures in Chris Granata, yeah, I went about, I actually, it's really, it's really uh, tricky to 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 perceive that. I talked to people who saw them as gold standard rules you have to follow to 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 get there. What Robin was talking because of course Robin's advice is very precise and it could be mistaken as a you know like, a, like an instruction. Around. Yeah, yeah. But but in fact, what they are is just it's just a quality. It's a way of proving the quality of your idea. That's how I would describe it. Because when I sit at work and I come up with an idea, I have to find a way to. Uh, you know, to judge is that actually worthwhile pursuing? You know, is that a really good idea, or can it be better? And the way you can use these, also the uh, the other book, good uh, Robin Laws of Good Game Mastering, it's actually not. You shouldn't perceive them as a set of rules, in my opinion. Just like check if your idea kind of ticks some of these boxes, or if they don't, how to you know how to push them up. Yeah. It's like the how to polish them because of course they're just you know. It's like you should do this and then that happens, but there's still it's still void without content because it doesn't, you know. There's still no characters. There's no scene in it. There's no nothing. There's no idea in it, but it helps you to get to the right idea. It's like the frame, the the box you have to fill. So it's that way you should, I think, in my opinion, approach that. And in that in that way, they work really really well. You know, it's like, what's my core activity? Can it be cooler? You know, this is like Robin. We will post a video actually in a couple of hours about uh, the the live seminar you did about from this morning, yesterday. Uh, the one where we were spitballing a, an adventure based yes. on the ideas in Sharper Adventures. Yeah, it was a workshop where, where basically people injected ideas what to do. Robin asked for ideas and then they, they punched it up. And it's very interesting to see how that process goes because um, people start on very different levels and then Robin actually, you know, directs it into a very cool. Uh, you know, very interesting campaign arc, scenario campaign. It was more campaign. There was a campaign arc, and then we did the first scenario for it. It's it's really worthwhile watching. So we will post about the video and all. Right, and and actually the seminar after that, uh, which was Jeff's seminar on how to uh, write for RQ, 
he wound up picking up on that and saying well if we're going to turn this into a product what qualities would it have and then he i think he'd sort of fall in love with it so it might turn into a product and yeah also stuff so i'm conscious of time i don't want to keep you here all the whole day because i was although i could because i know that you've got other seminars and stuff to do like that so the last sort of question i wanted to ask you is have you got anybody at the minute that's inspiring you or any products that you find really interesting or is there out there in the in the rpg world that you're finding cool or different or gets you perhaps a little bit more fired up about things um i actually uh draw more inspiration from uh, other media, particularly film. Okay. Um, and that's uh, not a comment on the quality of all of the amazing things that are going on, but just on the fact that I have so much on the go myself uh, that I'm, uh, because I, Pelgrane, for example, always tends to assign me to new core games. Right. Uh, and so those need to be play tested a lot. And then uh, I've also been working on the follow-up to King of Dragon Pass, the Glorantha computer oh, right. game. And there's just uh, between those two things, uh, you know, this You've year was Gumshoe One to One and uh, uh, the Six Ages uh, project. That they're just so much in my brain, and they need to get done. And I do this full time, so I, you know, need to get a certain amount uh, done every week, or I don't pay the rent. Yeah. Uh, that I don't have the time really to delve into other people's uh, gaming work. I can sort of know what it is from a distance and know that we're in a really exciting uh, renaissance of gaming but i can't name a particular sure. uh, thing that i would uh, d direct you toward then tell us about the mo your favorite movie from the Inter Inter toronto international movie festival uh, my favorite films were uh, soul on a string uh, which is a uh, sort of a tibetan spaghetti western right. um, okay. and uh, or uh, actually it's more john ford than spaghetti there's some spaghetti western bits but it's most it's also more inspired by john ford so that right. uh, so it's like a, a buddhist hero quest basically right. um, and it's uh, uses the, the way john ford uses monument valley in his films uh, this is basically, oh, John Ford, I see your Monument Valley, and I'm shooting in Tibet. So here's 35 <laughs> amazing landscapes, as uh, each distinct from each other. And, and it's not just like, here's the establishing shot of this gorgeous place, and then here's the action. But the action is integrated with the people. So that was a really uh, gorgeous, amazing experience. Uh, there's a film called Daguerreotype by a Japanese director called Kyoshi Kurosawa. Uh, he usually does uh, films in Japan because he's a Japanese director, but this one is actually done in France with a French cast. So oh, it's right. sort of, and, uh, and usually those sort of uh, mixes of directors and cultures don't work, but that, that's really fascinating. And it's about a, uh, it's, it's a ghost story about a, a guy who uh, makes uh, full-size daguerreotype photos and it requires the models to pose in these weird frame devices because the exposures last for like two hours wow. uh, and then there's ghosts and stuff and then also uh, there's a kind of post up it's not really post-apocalyptic but genre wise and image wise it is uh, called the bad batch uh, by uh, liliana amanpour who is the director of a girl walks alone at night a uh, right. vampire movie yeah and it's really uh trippy and disturbing and has some great sort of cameo uh, performances by uh, uh, Keanu Reeves and an unrecognizable Jim Carrey is in it, and uh, it's it, it's also really fabulous. It really messes with your expectations of where it's going to go. Excellent. That sounds very interesting. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for your time, both of you gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. 
Uh, and uh, I'll stick some links and things uh, along with this podcast up so you can catch yourself a copy of Sharper Adventures and Hero Quest or other exciting items and also the video that uh, Mr. Kukla mentioned. So thanks again for your time, gentlemen. You're um, most welcome. Yeah, thanks. Pleasure to have you.